0: Well we begin a new series, it's a bit of a, a light start to a new series, as you know often we have a bit of razzmatazz with a, a video intro, um, but I said look you know guys I've been back pretty uh, quickly into the things and uh, said to the, uh, the video team, let's just take it easy, let's just build up towards these things and, and we'll just get excited in the old fashioned way about opening scripture, you like that? Yeah. We're going to be looking at the life of King David, King David is a spectacular figure in the, in the scriptures. And uh, for us, he's going to open up an understanding of what it means to be a leader, what it means to be called, what it means to be frail, and to be vulnerable, and to go through processes of restoration after brokenness. So, so much of what we experience in and throughout our own lives is captured in David's life, and so I'm really excited about that. So, what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to pull together some early threads that give a context to the story of David. Because David didn't just appear out of nowhere and he didn't become king uh, just on his own uh, preference. He became king because he was appointed and other people had let the side down earlier. You have a look at our set here today. This looks like a very rural set and that's the whole reason for it is because uh, it's meant to be. King David of course started off as a shepherd boy, uh, tending to his father's flocks way out in the in the boondocks. And so um, I get the chance to hang up my my urban swan dry um, here. Why? Because um, I them in pastoral work, and so I get to, uh, I get to uh, hang up my swan dry. Two farmers, uh, two Kiwi farmers, were having a chat to one another. One uh, farm sheep down the South Island, the other one was in Waikato doing dairy. And uh, the South Island guy said to the Waikato farmer, he said, How, how big is your farm? And he goes, Oh, About 200 hectares. He goes, "Hmm, Oh, really? He says, You know, he says, My sheep farm. He says, I I get out of bed in the morning and I start up the truck, and it takes me all day to get to the other boundary of my farm. The Waikato farmer looked at him and goes, I had a truck like that once. (laughs) Pastoral jokes. That's as good as they get. Let's go back and Like I say, pull some of these threads together in the story that bring us to the scriptures we're going to look at this morning in 1 Samuel. Uh, We've got a period of time when things are changing in Israel. The last of the prophet leaders are seen, and they're not doing as well as they could. Eli, who raised the next prophet, Samuel, had some rotten sons. The rotten sons were people who who, uh, took advantage of the women in the temple. They stole money when they wanted it. They took the burnt offerings and sacrifices and just ate them for themselves. And so when Samuel was raised up, God rejected Eli's sons and said, Samuel, you're going to now be the new prophet and priest and judge to Israel. So that was fine. Samuel did a great job. But in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we find that Samuel didn't do a very good job of raising his sons, they too copied what Eli's sons did. So you can tell that Eli and Samuel should have both gone to a parenting with confidence course because in spite of their success on the outside, their family life was rubbish. Uh, They both didn't have the ability to pass on the mantle of leadership to the next generation. And so when the people of Israel looked at Samuel, they saw a great leader. When they saw his sons, they said, we don't want these people leading us. What we want is a king, a king just like the other nations around us. And Samuel said, look, if you, if you really want to go for that, it's going to end up with trouble. He said, he's going to, the king is going to make your sons part of his army. He's going to make your daughters part of his harem. He's going to ma- demand taxes from you. He's going to etc. etc." and just builds this picture of how woeful this nation would be if they end up having a king. And the people said, no, 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 but we want a king anyway because we want to be like the other nations. And so God said, give them what they want, give them a king. And so the first king that's appointed is a guy called Saul. And he's from the township of Bethlehem. He was a Benjamite from that town. And he was literally head and shoulders above everybody else. He was a tall, ruddy figure. That's the term they use in in the King James, a ruddy figure. In other words, he had... Great looks, tall, head and shoulders above the rest. And the Lord said to Samuel, he said, I want you to appoint him as king. And so he does. He appoints him as king. And for about 10 years, Saul does a good job. He rallies the people to himself. They defend their borders. And then one particular occasion, uh, God told them to go and address the Amalekite problem on their border. The Amalekites were giving them grief. So God said, go down there, destroy everything, their crops, kill all of their animals. And so what happens? Saul takes the army down there. There's a rout. In other words, a nice way for saying a complete annihilation. And they did everything that God told them, except they took some of the choice animals, the, the cows and the sheep, and they brought them back to their own country. Now, what happens is Samuel the prophet goes down there and he says to Saul the king, he goes, sounds like it was a good battle down there. And he says, that, um, I can hear something. Can you hear that? I can hear sheep baying and cows mooing. What's going on? Because God told you to destroy everything and don't bring anything back. And you can see Saul there sort of kicking the stones around going, "Ah, well, um, we decided to bring the best back so that we can make a a sacrifice to God, an offering to God. He said, no, no, God said, leave everything behind, destroy it all, come back. And so this becomes the crossover moment. This becomes the crossover moment when Saul, in his arrogance, has now decided that he knows what is best. And so God chooses to reject him. And he uses these words And he tells the prophet Samuel to tell Saul this. These are the words. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you. He has rejected you. So here's the beginning of our story. We've got these threads coming together. Saul had been anointed, had been appointed, and yet he has failed. And so what we're going to see over the next couple of chapters is the demise of Saul and the rise of David, the one who will become the king after Saul. And it's in this tension between the outgoing and the incoming that David learns his first lessons of how it is to be a leader, how it is to be a king. And so it's quite cool because in this tension, we find the lessons that God wants to teach us about leadership, because so often what we have to do, as we know, is to put ourselves in the place of these characters that we read about in Scripture and learn from their uh, their experiences. So let's have a look at uh, this first part of the Scripture that introduces to us the method by which... Saul is going to be replaced by David. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again. Though Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, there's a bit of tension in here straight away. You see, Saul probably in his grief of now being rejected by God is still living in Bethlehem. When we're talking about towns, we're not talking about big cities the size of this one. We're talking about big villages, really, in a place like Bethlehem. And so what happens is the priest, the prophet, and the judge, that is Samuel, is being told to squirrel his way back into Bethlehem and find a replacement from amongst those same people essentially Saul's people. So this really puts the acid on Saul, doesn't it? You know, it's all very well for the new king to be the guy on the other side of town, sorry, the other side of the country, not the other side of town. That's a real insult, isn't it? So what happens is uh, Samuel himself is also quite nervous about going back to Bethlehem because he knows that there could be trouble for him and the people who are with him. So let's, let's follow on. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king of Israel? Fill your horn with oil, be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by but Samuel said nor has the Lord chosen this one Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel but Samuel said to him the Lord has not chosen these so he asked Jesse are these all the sons that you have you can sort of see this thing happening can't you you've you've got this prophet who knows that he has to hear from the Lord about one of Jesse's sons of course, Jesse does the right thing and he gets the oldest, the eldest. Oldest or eldest? The one born first. <laughs> and he gets him to walk in front of the prophet. And you can sort of imagine him walking in going, you know, what do you do when you're advertising to be a king? I don't know, you know? How do you, how do you assure that you impress the judges? Well, the interesting thing about this little script is that, for all of his spirituality, Samuel looks at this guy and goes, he looks like he'll do. He's tall and he's good looking. Hey, what, what do you want in a king? Tall and good looking. A little bit like Prince William, really? Hey, he's taller and better looking than his dad. Am I allowed to say that? Um, so, so he, you know, this is what we're looking for. The Lord then, then quickens him and says, no, we're not looking for somebody. We're not looking for looks. We're wanting to feel something here and see deep within the guy's heart as to what it is or whom it is. So Eliab goes by. No, it's not him. And the other brothers pass by. And there are seven brothers who pass by. And and the Lord says no to either of them. And so this this question of whom and how will God choose is not about the looks. It's not about being the firstborn or the secondborn, the eldest or the oldest. Uh, And so therefore, the question that we are now asking ourselves in this setting is, gosh, you know, it seems to me that God seems to be more interested on the inside than he is on the outside, which is good news for most of us. It's certainly good news for me. I haven't won any beauty contests in my life, and yet God will still choose as he chooses to choose you. And so we, we lean into the story because there's something really special about it. It's telling us about how God sees the heart and we can't control how much hair we've got or the 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 the, the, uh, the the looks that we carry, but we can control the condition of the heart. So all of a sudden, God has created a level playing ground. Does that make sense to you? He's actually saying, I can choose you because of whom you are, not what you look like on the outside. And I like that because, you know, I'm not going to win any beauty contests. And uh, the simple truth is that when there's one winner, there's only one winner, so most of us won't. Simple as that. And as we get older, I've been to the rest homes, wrinkles win in the end. All right? So that's the way it is. Amen. Bring it on. God bless wrinkles. They show you you've lived a great life. Eh? May your wrinkles turn upwards with a smile, crinkle at the eyes with a grin. You like that? Yeah, that's good. So we're talking about young men, young handsome men, and these aren't the ones and we know in today's society success is all about what others think we are you know it's not about necessarily even about what we look like today but if your facebook makes you look like you've got this amazing exciting life and if you can get that best picture that one that just occurs when the sun's right and you have to smile the right way looking out the corner of your eye with a little grin and it captures you perfectly that's the one that you put up because it's all about looking right isn't it Okay, some people you know on Facebook, you go, really, that photo was taken 30 years ago? Come on, all right. So success is all about what people think we are, and grooming the image is really a big part of what it is today. How many here are playing Pokemon Go as I talk? <laughs> I just got a confession. There's a, a little hand here just went straight up. <laughs> all right. Scotty, your son, what's his name? Noah, good on you Noah, just caught you. Yeah, <laughs> Pokemon Go is this new craze, apparently two, hold on, 4% of the people with Facebook or with something going on are playing it, so yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, and so you can win friends by playing this imaginary game, okay? By being really good at this imaginary game. So that's okay, it's all about what others think, that's the main thing. God, however, works the other way. God says, I'm going to surprise everybody. He says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So we get a feeling now for what's going to happen because God is going to choose the youngest of this family, okay? doesn't necessarily mean he's not the best looking but certainly the youngest, so that he can say, I was the youngest in my family. I never learned any leadership skills by being the eldest brother. The most logical person in Jesse's family was Eliab, wasn't it? He would have learned to be king over his younger brothers. How many of you have learned to be king or queen over your younger brothers and sisters? Yeah, see? (laughs) You learn all these skills, you know, you you order them around, you then discipline them when they don't, Uh, okay? So you become the grumpy older brother. Great practice for being king. But for King David, sorry, not King yet, for David. You can imagine what it would have been like for him. His now disregarded brothers are sent out to the paddocks to go and find David. And he would have come running in, what's all this going on here? Is a party? Something going on I haven't been invited to. You know, he would have been sweating from the run, smelling like a sheep and looking around like little brothers do, probably for the food. Yeah? And then this wizened old guy stands up and says, you're going to be the next king of Israel and pours a liter of oil over his head. It's like, wow. That really changed the plans you had for the day. Really. Changed your whole life. One of the things that we're going to see about David is that David's heart was the thing that was of most interest to God. Somehow, and we're going to learn more about this, somehow out in that desert place with the sheep, David's heart was being moulded by God. And for me, that's the exciting thing about this story, is that it doesn't matter really about the quality of your education, the quality of the, uh, the household that you were born to financially. Uh, it doesn't matter about your looks. It just says if your heart is in the right place, god can choose and use in ways that are uh, quite unusual and quite spectacular and uh, and this is the this is the scriptures that David would write later on as a psalmist and I think it's important to pick up on some of these even early on in his life psalm 46 to 8 sacrifice and offering you do not desire but my ears you have opened burnt offerings and sin offerings you do not require then I said here I am I've come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. He's taken a sense of some of the words that were used to reject Saul, saying, God saying, I don't demand sacrifice. I don't demand burnt offerings. But what I do require is a heart that's after me. And so David's grafted this into the this psalm, saying, this, I know this is what God wants of me. You know, my heart is what God wants. Notice how he mentions that at the end of that that verse. And again in Psalm 119. How can a young man stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. There's that word again. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. And the beauty of this story is that he is the youngest. The beauty of the story is we can't say he had any preferential treatment unless you think raising sheep in the middle of a desert is preferential. But what King David did do was that he took advantage of the opportunity that he was given. You see, when you're out in the middle of nowhere, you can throw stones as far away as you like. There's no windows to smash if they had windows, no one to upset. So David, wanting to tend the sheep, wanting to be a good protector of the sheep, I would imagine that he would have thrown hundreds of stones every day. Start off with, he would have hit the tree. Woohoo! I can hit the tree. You know, and maybe some months later he could hit the branch, then the twig, and then he could take the leaves off the tree at will. That's the skill that he had. And maybe it was a family member who felt sorry for him and gave him a harp, a little harp called a lyre, L-Y-R-E. And maybe at night when he was in the sheep pen, sleeping with the sheep as the shepherds did, he played that musical instrument. And these two things are going to become significant in his life in the years to come. Two little simple things that he could do. Throw stones and play music. That's all he could do when he was out there tending the sheep. But because he did these things well and he did them to honour God, these things became the very vehicle by which he became a great king. One of the great New Zealand stories is a story about this guy, the guy who should have been giving his advice to Eli and Samuel about parenting. Ian Grant and his wife Mary started a a foundation called Parenting with Confidence, now called Parents, Inc. It's based in Auckland. And Ian has been with the the Youth for Christ setting for a long, long time. He's been a full-time Christian worker and is probably a pretty well-known public figure. When I was a youngster, and I'm talking in the 1970s, there was a programme on our one television channel, called The Herd. Now I used to watch The Herd because it, immediately after there was big time wrestling on the mat. How many of you can remember On The Mat? Okay, so you remember um, people like Samoan Joe, uh, Siviyafi Teo Gaga, uh, Abdullah the Butcher. <laughs> see, how, see how impressionable I was? Yeah, yeah. But I also remember Ian Grant. He headed up this Christian TV program called The Herd. And his own testimony is this. He tells it way better than me. But uh, he went to the New Zealand Broadcasting Services interview or um, what do they do when they try out, when you try out something? Audition, thanks. The audition to be the presenter in this show, The Herd. Now, most people who know Ian know that he has had all of his life a terrible stammer, stuttering. And if you hear him on radio, sometimes he'll get caught and it'll take him a long time to get that word out. Well, he rocked up to the television station and he introduced himself to the producer and he said, Hi, hi, hi. my name's Ian Grant. He tells it worse than this. I want to try for the presenters job job job. You can only imagine what the producer thought. Well, the producer said, look, um, we've got a lot of other people ahead of you. If you just want to take a seat, we'll do you right at the very end. She felt sorry for him. Probably didn't want to expose him to the other candidates. Well, as soon as he stands in front of the camera, something happens. It can only be God. And the words just flow like a river. And he becomes the presenter. And it's an absolutely brilliant story of how God takes what appears to be foolish and redeems it and turns it into something profound. And so, you know, I leave this story with you because we worship and serve the God who is and does, not the God who was and did, not the God of history, not the God of was and did, but the God who is and does. And that, my friends, is what we're talking about here when we look at the chosen being the youngest, the eighth member of the family. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look, in the things, look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, this is good news for us. Isn't it? It's good news. You know, I get up in the mirror in the morning and I look at myself and I go, it is great news that God loves my heart. You know? And I had this proven to me um, about 10 days ago. I went down to Christchurch, real quick trip. One of our Baptist Maori kaumatua passed away. And um, I couldn't make the tangi, so I just flew down, did a quick visit overnight on a Sunday night. And I went down, and I got met at the airport by a friend, and we went round to the house where Lionel Stewart's body was laid there with his family. And they welcomed me and did a porphyry. And, uh, and that, that's all good. And then, partway through the porphyry, Doug McNeil, who was acting as the co he was talking to me and he said, Craig, Craig, it's, it's wonderful to have your face here amongst us. And then he stopped and he goes, Your face isn't that good looking, <laughs> but it's wonderful to have it here. <laughs> I said, I know my head is sort of like a fuzzy bowling ball, I know that, you know. Um, but that was good news to me because I thought I've made a friend. Because only in New Zealand do your friends insult you in public to prove that you really do like each other. Is that true? That's true in New Zealand, isn't it? That's great. And, And so you know, the truth was he said, I like the fact that your face is here because it brings us something valuable. The face itself is not that great, but what you bring, in other words, your heart, we really, really value. And uh, it was great. We had a great time. We, we had a kai together and then we had a little church service in the home and it was a really, really precious time together. But God is interested on the inside. So let's see how this rolls out for David. It says here, Jesse had seven of his sons passed before him, before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? "There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him, we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and he had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Can't get away from this, eh? eh? Mrs. Jesse and Mr. Jesse had great looking kids. Okay? We'll blame the mother. Okay. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah, that's his home, which is a nice little way of saying he escaped from Bethlehem without being beaten up by Saul. He didn't find out that he was there. But what we have here is a new king in waiting, a new king in waiting. This handsome little brat, because every little brother's a little brat, doesn't matter how good they are, when you've got seven older brothers, you're the brat, okay, when you're the youngest, okay, and, and that's, I say that lovingly and positively to any of you who Now I feel I'm insulting you because you're the youngest. But for David, it said that the spirit of the Lord fell upon him. And this is where things get really interesting for us as Christians. Because we have to now discern what it is that is the spirit of the Lord. And what is it about David's character? Because his heart has already been tested. And what is it about his skill? In other words, he's thrown probably tens, if not hundreds of thousands of stones. Okay, which is going to become valuable to him in the future. How do we discern the tension here? You see, character is so important, skills are so important, anointing is also so important. We just commissioned Colin and Haley a moment ago. Uh, Imagine how it would have gone for them and would go for us in the future if Colin had discerned a call from God to be in pastoral ministry, and he rolled up here and he said, God wants me to work at Bethlehem Baptist. How do we know this, Colin? He's told me, we pray, yes, you're right, Colin. Come here, let's anoint you and throw you into the task. That would have been foolish. But what I do know is that over the last three and a half to four years, Colin and Haley have been through a system where they've been tested, measured, tested again, mentored, supervised, challenged, threatened, probably. Well, that was just me. Um, psychiatric analysis, yeah? You can clearly tell they didn't do it in my day. But everything is measured. Everything is tested. And finally, after his character has been challenged, his skills have been refined, we say, yes, we believe now that you are prepared and we will anoint you for service. We will meet God where he is meeting you and we will agree together with the Spirit of the Lord and you'll now head off into ministry service. And so we have this challenge in front of us. And we see the challenge being outworked through King David's life. Well, I keep calling him king. He's not king yet. King to be. You see, David's life doesn't become a dream ride. In fact, as I mentioned earlier on, the outgoing king is going to make life hell for the incoming king. Because the outgoing king doesn't want to agree with what God has done, and that has kicked him off his throne. So the outgoing king is going to resist the incoming king with every bit of strength that he's got. And we're going to see how David is refined in his character and his skill because of the pressure that is put on him by Saul. His life is threatened. Uh, People don't like him. People misunderstand him. And all of this is a test of his character and his skill. And it equals the anointing that he's got. And so that's going to be an exciting little journey for us in the next few months. And the scripture that we need to go away with today is this. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And if ever there's a truer word we need to hear in society today, it is this word, isn't it? When so much of what we see in our advertising, uh, I just went to the grocery store yesterday, and all those magazines with all the beautiful people on the covers telling us that They measure up and we don't. And then we hear a word from the Lord and it says, it's the heart, it's the heart, it's the heart every time. And even if you've got a face like a fuzzy bowling ball, it doesn't matter. Because God is interested in the heart. And the heart is something that you can allow God to work on. Your physical features are largely defined. Keep yourself healthy, keep yourself fit, all those good things. But by and large, we get to work with God together in this area of character and skill, that gives us more room for God to use us in ways that we would never have thought possible. Even with our simple music skills or stone-throwing skills, God can use us in ways that completely blow our mind. Isn't that cool? That's very cool. Let's stand for prayer. Father, we often wrestle with the question, Do you call the anointed or do you anoint the called? And for us, we see in King David this simultaneous process where character is going to be developed and that would allow his character to be equal to the call and the anointing that is upon his life. For each one of us, Lord, that means that even the big challenges that we face and the little challenges we face, those little frustrating things are defining for us. But Lord, we don't want to lose the picture, the big picture, that you're the God who raises up. You're the God who calls things to an end. And we just want to submit ourselves, Lord, to that refining process, that calling process. That means that you will take the rough and you'll make it smooth. You'll make, take the unrefined and you'll make it defined in a way that allows us to, to minister more and more deeply into our community around us. Father, we thank you for the work that you do in our lives. as challenging as it is. We see it as a gift and a reward because a good father disciplines his children. And we thank you for that discipline process. And we thank you for the calling process that work hand in hand. God, we're excited about this series looking at David's life because we're gonna see so much humanity in there. We're gonna wonder where you are at times. But then we're reminded that often in our week, we see so much of our own selves there. We wonder where you are too. So God, we thank you. For your word. We thank you that it builds us up and encourages us and strengthens us for our day-to-day walk with you. So we look forward to this and we celebrate it in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen.